Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. And still, Allison, we have a very special episode this episode. We do. This is probably one of my favorite kinds of episodes. I say that. We only do two. Um, But I really, really am so excited because our mailbox is absolutely full with fun questions and comments from listeners. I'm excited. I mean, did you listen to Please Mr. Postman, the Carpenters cover to prepare for today? Ten times. And then I thought a little bit about the history of the U.S. Postal Service. And in my mind, I, you know, petted a pony for the Pony Express. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad you did that. How are you doing? This is a very weird, strange and scary time. It is. And I think it's appropriate to do what other shows are doing, which is to say you never want to date your show, but we are recording about a week before this releases. So you never know what kind of state the world will be in. I am doing okay. I am working from home. Um, I've only had just a few days at the house the way my life has shaken out. But how about you? I mean, it's been a weird time. I'll just say that. I mean, I'm I'm about two or about a week and a half into working remotely, which I'm actually fine with other than not being able to go out and get my Dunkin', et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's a scary time. I'll say that. You know, my brother is an airline pilot, which I've mentioned on this show, and, you know, he's been still out flying and it's been it's been scary. My dad had a COVID-19 test it came back negative, thankfully, but I know a lot of people who need tests or don't have access to them. Just a scary, scary time. It is. So doing this episode is actually a great relief to me. I'm happy. It's a healthy source of distraction. It is. And we've had a lot of people write to us about so many different things. Um, for this main part, we're really interested I don't want to say in avoiding the topic of the pandemic, that is certainly not true, but focusing on other topics, right? So kind of getting into that and then giving the pandemic its own due as something separate. Does that work for you? That definitely works for me. And so we're kind of doing that by design because I think some people feel comforted getting more information or context or just something to think with about the pandemic. But for other people, that's also um, quite understandably a source of stress and heightens your anxiety. So this is kind of a choose your own adventure. We are going to consciously try to put out some extra content just to give people some sources of distraction at this time. But please feel free to skip stuff that doesn't feel good for you right now. Absolutely. I I don't know what better segue you could have engineered. I'm going to start with a really important question that came from a listener, and I need your honest reply. Barbara in D.C. Great wants name. to know how many times you have seen Hanson live and in concert, which presupposes <laughs> that it's more than one. Wow. Now, was this question posed to both of us, or did Barb, if I may call her Barb, target me for this? I'm assuming she targeted you. Okay. First of all, I'm a little bit offended, but I also understand where that's coming from. And the answer is, I guess, sadly, no. I will say that I did go to high school with someone who aggressively was a Hanson fan and saw them multiple times in concert. And I think for people who are real fans, and I don't know what the word is that they've chosen for their fandom, people keep going repeatedly I will say when I first saw them on MTV, I genuinely thought the middle one was a girl. And I haven't really moved past that. I know that they're older now and they have roughly cumulatively like 30 children. 
Yes. That's basically all I know. I think Umbop is a great song. I would love to hear them perform it live. I've that's that's where I'm at with them. Now speaking of musical icons, Solomon John G wants to know other than Dolly Parton's America, what are some of your favorite podcasts that you're listening to right now? Wow. Well, you know, before I engage this question, I do thank you for bringing up Dolly Parton, which is not really the point of what you were saying, but I just need to take a minute and pause because we did lose Kenny Rogers over the weekend, which is kind of not an area of concern of mine. I am floored that he left behind both a 60-year-old daughter and 14-year-old twins. I'm just going to say that. But, you know, Kenny Rogers' most frequent and famous duet partner was Dolly Parton, and she posted a truly heartbroking video where she, her voice broke at the end of it, where she had like literally a framed photo of them. It was like, I grabbed this photo of him, and it's like, we're going through enough difficult things right now. Dolly should not be challenged by anything. No. Period. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, getting back to favorite podcasts, I think we probably have very different answers to this question because we like different things. Yes. Um, I really love an interview podcast. I love listening to uh, kind of produced nonfiction. So I really like Embedded by NPR, which has gone through various iterations. I think it's very good. I do listen to Terry Gross, depending on who she's interviewing. I love um, You Must Remember This podcast, which is a really great podcast about started with the history of the golden age of Hollywood. The first episode is actually about a very weird album Frank Sinatra made, but she's done a lot of curated seasons on different topics. So I fell a little bit behind on that. I'm catching up on that now, really enjoying that. Uh, I don't know. I listen to Bitch Sesh, which is like a Real Housewives recap podcast. It just makes me laugh. What about you, Allison? Where are you at with all of this? So mine is like my eligibility for being on a watch list. So I'll go through it uh, rather briefly. I have been binging Uncover, which is a CBC Canadian podcast. And their most recent season is called Satanic Panic. I don't come out good with this list. I'll just say that. Um, I'm a regular listener of True Murder, which is a true crime book review podcast um also small town murder i've gotten back into oh my god i'll also just know um memory palace which pretty much never fails has been producing episodes again my newest favorite is who weekly and i also really love the murder squad and i won't list anymore because they're all like that as if that wasn't incriminating enough that's where you draw a line you're like well I you did recommend Who Weekly to me and it has really been making me laugh. So that has been picking me up. So thank you. That was a really great recommendation. I was trying to explain. So Who Weekly is a podcast about people who are I I don't want to say lower tier celebrities, but not A-list celebrities. And I was trying to explain their Rita or a theme song. And I was like, you can't you can't explain this to other people. Like either you <laughs> understand why a podcast has a Rita or a theme song or, or you don't. You don't. You truly don't. Speaking of, someone went kind of right for the jugular, and I think this is an important topic for us to take up in these times. This was a question about what we thought. This is from Stephanie about the latest Kanye and Taylor drama. Wow. Okay. First, just to recap for people who I guess have lives and aren't following this like we are. The latest drama, so far as I know, is that the full video footage of the call between Taylor and Kanye, where he claims she agreed to the lyrics and video that he was putting out 
dropped. Yes. By which him. actually, by him, which people are saying actually exonerates Taylor because he didn't, she allegedly didn't hear from him the song lyric where he was going to say, you know, I made that bitch famous. Excuse me. I know you don't like swearing. You're um, <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, okay, so is that the is that a fair recap of what's happening now? I think that's fair. I think what's actually happening, this is my read of the situation. I understood, perhaps erroneously, that Kim was the one to actually drop it in her feed. Maybe that was a repost. But the way that I understood it, this is how I've chosen to frame this decision. She is coming out out with the Oxygen Network with a whole true crime slate. And I'm choosing to see this as her saying, listen, America, this is a mirror. This is what you choose to make the quote unquote perfect victim, which is a white woman with blonde hair. And I'm going to show you the truth, which is that true crime should really be about the over, like the overextension of the carceral state. And she's actually getting people out of prison. I think that's where it's headed. Is that an, only a me read or? So I think sometimes when we make these hot takes, we kind of need to turn the mirror on ourselves and say like, what's going on with us that might be framing how we read certain situations? And I will just remind you of this moment that, you know, you did as a gift to yourself upon finishing grad school, watch all of Keeping Up with the Kardashians in a very brief window of time. Not a criticism, just like actually like a feat that I have wonder about. I also have seen most of that show and I'm weirdly fascinated by them. But at the same time, you know, I guess the question to me is, does it really change Taylor Swift's presentation of herself as a victim if you know that she actually wasn't told on that call the degree to which Kanye would be um, eviscerating her or in the actual specifics of her depiction in his music video and the lyrics in that song? Or... Does it, you know, like the fact that she was willing to kind of be friends with him or palsy on that phone phone call in any degree define it, tell you everything you need to know? I think I already knew everything I needed to know, like to be honest with you. Yeah. Me, you know, like because we keep using kind of the term mirror, but I think it's true. I think they're two sides of the same coin. And I think they've both made quite a lot of money about or through the process of thinking about their different degrees of victimhood in society. And I'll just say, I think there's a huge difference between what I think is Kanye's magnum opus, right? Dark Twisted Fantasy. I, I actually think that's a phenomenal album. I think that's mm -hmm. one of probably the best albums of the past 25 plus years. And that is actually about his perception of his victimhood and his guilt and trying to kind of self-exonerate. And I think for me, I don't need to say anything about the other party I think for me, like his musical genius is what matters. And I think if you've listened to any of his music, you don't want to be mentioned. <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to be mentioned, it's probably not going to be good. Unless, unless you're, you're Donda north. or oh, North. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Donda. Yeah. Never forget. So do I, I think she understood? Yeah. I think they're both players in a large game of which they are knowing participants, as you're saying. I think they both have musical talent of a kind. I mean, I think 15 is a really good song. Like if you mm -hmm. go listen to Taylor Swift's 15, that's a really good song. But I also think it's shady AF that the lyrics from that song come from what might have been a very personal disclosure of her then teenage best friend, 
you know, sharing her experience, not Taylor's experience, her friend's experience. And Taylor's artistry is that she could take that and turn it into something creative. But, you know, that's a kind of exposure too. And that's a kind of uh, a commercialization of someone else's vulnerability, another white girl's vulnerability as well. Kanye is not blameless in all of this. I mean, he has a host of issues and he's, as you're saying, um, you know, very talented artist, but also a major game player. And, you know, they're all appropriating stuff for their own ends. So with that, with that said, I don't think it changes too much for me to know whether or not she knew about those lyrics. I've also seen Miss Americana, which we watched with a good friend of ours. And basically that I had really high hopes for that documentary because the person who made that made 20 feet from stardom, which is a really awesome documentary about backup singers. It's on Netflix. Please check it out. It's amazing. So I really thought that that was going to be kind of giving us a window into the so-called like version of Taylor you don't see, but it's basically a two hour commercial and it, it ends on a really weird note. So I don't know. I'm just not particularly convinced by her self presentation and I think the quality for music is is not what it once was. I mean, there's still some good moments, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of these more recent albums. So I think that's also clouding my judgment. I think that's fair. And I think I want to talk about someone who is not a one hit wonder, which is Jessica Fletcher. And I I don't know if you're fully emotionally prepared to go to this place. We promise people no raw subjects, but several people reached out to us and said, what are you going to do if and when, I want to say if, Murder, She Wrote is taken off Amazon Prime? Listen, I'm within 24 hours of receiving this news. As you may or may not know, Murder, She Wrote is on Amazon Prime. Speaking of it, still active. I can't even go there. Allison's losing it. Allison, look, this show came in from nowhere into my life and is lighting up my life right now. We're in a dark time. What I need to see every day is Jessica Fletcher, my Surgeon General, <laughs> representing herself as like these weird fake personas, wearing turbans, wearing a towel around her neck while she runs in a weird sweatsuit. Like, People with New England accents that make absolutely no sense. You know, we've emptied the Overactor Academy. We've cast everyone. We're solving crimes that kind of don't need to be solved or really strange. It It's just, it is the perfect distraction right now. So the news from a friend of ours that you hit me yesterday that it's leaving Amazon Prime at the end of the month. I'm not prepared for this. I'm sorry, Jeff Bezos. You've taken enough, Okay. The way that you monitor all your warehouse workers, so that if they're not fulfilling an order within every 30 seconds, their armband vibrates and they get penalized for that. Like, yeah, obviously late stage capitalism, it's a huge problem. But this is the problem that's affecting my life right now. Not okay. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I I could say this is an overtop reaction, but it's kind of like, this is me and I have to accept that in these dark times. Well, someone did ask what your favorite crime TV show is or what our favorite crime TV shows are. Do you like anything other than this? Okay, well, then that's where we get into a problem because my <laughs> other favorite crime TV show are the Law & Order franchises. I know. And that's fraught right now. Different it reasons. I mean, I hate to poke at your vulnerability, but it's like, this is where we're at right now. I texted you like, who am I if I am not a Mariska Hargitay stan? SVU, we all know that people haven't been trying especially hard to keep that show lively or germane. 
that they are basically running headlines through a spaghetti machine and, and kind of throwing it at the wall to see. Um, but the thing that's kind of been my saving grace because I can't watch Criminal Intent on Prime, another crime. I got very deep into Tiger King this weekend, which is free for streaming on Netflix. I went from really not having any sense of what it would take to own a tiger to by the end of this being like, I'm going to write a letter. I'm very upset. There are more tigers being held privately in the United States than anywhere in the wild, which I feel like shouldn't surprise us because like I am a cat person. Like We know how we are. And honestly, the more they were like, once you've pet a lion, like you don't go back. I was like, I know that. Like, you don't need to tell me that. Like, that's why I don't have a tiger. Because once you have one, you need 20. Oh, God. I mean, you are the person, like, in some ways, you watching that documentary is like the call coming from inside the house. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So it's like you and I watching that is like a very different journey, I'm sure. But I think we've both come to the same conclusion, (laughs) which is that this is a huge problem of which... A lot of people have probably been aware, but Netflix is kind of raising awareness um, in their own special way, which is through something that is kind of extreme and emotional. And it's very, I found it very difficult to watch. Like, I think I'm going to have to do this in smaller bursts. Um, I'm about halfway through because to see the ways that these animals are caged up and that there are restrictions, but they're not honored. And there's this black market and this and that. It's like these people running this are insane, but they're not the victims of this. It's the animals who are on the receiving end of so much cruelty. So I just, you know, living through these dark times, even if the pandemic wasn't going on, I think you have to monitor how you're doing in other areas and figure out if you can handle something like that or not on a particular day. So I kind of reached my limit and I had to stop, but I will return to it. But I mean, SVU, SVU lately is kind of like, you know, those things on Twitter where somebody will tweet and be like, I took you know, like 500 menus and put it through a, (laughs) you know, a computer code and it spit out a script. It's like, that's what SVU has become. Of itself. Of itself. I I miss the early days. I'll still watch, but now someone did ask us, Bailey the Bookworm. I just loved that handle. Great. Guess what she asked us about? I hope books. Books. She asked us about books, which is what you have been reading lately or what is the absolute last book that you read? Okay, I have like five books going at any particular time, so this is difficult for me to get into, but I will say the book that has lit up my life in the past two weeks. So I'll say a couple books I've read that I've really enjoyed. But number one, I did read Jessica Simpson's open book. Allison's shaking her head right now. Guess what? First of all, I couldn't buy myself this book. I I have a problem where sometimes I want to I feel bad like buying myself a present, but this book came out and I didn't have a reason for buying it, but I just, I just wanted it. So I kind of like, I was like, Anna, I need you to gift me this book. And she (laughs) did. This book came, I devoured it in about a day. It is genuinely, I read a lot of celebrity memoirs because I'm fascinated by the form. It is genuinely very good. And I went into it thinking Ashley Simpson was my favorite Simpson because I enjoyed her MTV reality show. And I do think Allison shaking her head, autobiography and pieces of me are great songs, period. I block out whatever happened with Ryan Cabrera. I tried to watch her most recent reality show and it was like kind of a snooze fest, couldn't get into it. Post nose job, she's not as interesting. Reading open book and after after also coming into my life the same time I saw Love is Blind with 
obviously Nick Lachey, to quote himself. <laughs> Hi, I'm obviously Nick Lachey. Obviously, I'm Nick Lachey. Be quiet. And after reading this book, I'm done with him. I wasn't really involved with him ahead of time. It's over now. This book is genuinely very good. It's kind of a history of what it was like to become famous in the early aughts. Very, very, it's a fun distraction. I highly recommend that. I just started reading the Wolf Hall books. Mm. I was texting about you this with you earlier. And I think I put them off because I knew it was a trilogy and I didn't want to get invested unless all three books were out. And the third one just came out. I do think the author is possibly in love with Thomas Cromwell. And that could be a problem for her, but it's sort of working for the book. So I recommend that. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I also read a Little Women graphic novel, which we'll talk about on our Patreon episode. Surprise. Surprise, which I also enjoyed. And I'm reading a book about the history of – I'm also reading a book about um, what happens with the Adamses in their successive generations mm. after Abigail and John's death, which is sort of interesting. Spoiler alert, kind of a disappointment. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you've had, like, a dad and a grandpa who were president, like, what do you do? Well, what's weird is, like, it's sort of like each generation never learns because John Quincy Adams was sort of like, dad never said I love you or, like, he never hugged me. And then with his own sons, he's like, you're always a disappointment. And they're like, dad's never nice to me. He never, like, says I love you. And it's like, wow. Cats in the cradle. Too true. Yeah. How about you? So I've been reading a few murder mystery novels um, <laughs> because of course. that's also what I enjoy. And I like being able to read, you know, I just finished um, The Favorite Sister by Jessica Knoll, who made her debut with Luckiest Girl Alive, which was very mm. popular a few summers ago. Um, so right now I am reading Serena Zabin's um, The Boston Massacre, A Family History. And I am really really liking it it is so beautifully written so attentive and i like the way she starts the book immediately by acknowledging that this is a story you probably think you know but Mm. that she's going to position it around people you haven't met in this story that's been told and and rehashed so many times um I also just read a fantastic book i go through a magic period once a year about harry houdini And it was called The Life and Afterlife of Houdini, and I highly, highly recommend it. It was more about people who have made their life's obsession Houdini than himself. And sort of like the way that this person who would never fully reveal himself to others is like the perfect subject for a magician and a biographer because you'll never actually know. Like he was such a habitual liar and so much of his life was an Mm. illusion. So I really, really liked that one. Hmm. That sounds very good. Yeah. Um, So we were also asked a few kind of easier questions that are like a a this or that. So um, Kaylee wanted to know, hot or cold? No context. If it's weather, hot, no question. If it's coffee, cold, anything else is homophobia. How about you? Um, Actually, same. Although I will drink a hot turned cold coffee, which you will not do. (laughs) You know, here's the situation. I will drink a hot coffee if it's served to me hot and I'm drinking it hot. Yes. You like to nurse a coffee for like six hours. And to me, that feels dangerous. Yeah. Her other question for us, um, she also says, you're amazing. Thank you, Kaylee. You're amazing. Sweet or salty? Hmm. Mostly sweet. I feel like personality is salty for me. And then like (laughs) taste aptitude is sweet. Okay. I mean, I don't think you're salty as a person. I, I can be. 
I mean, I like to think of myself and my candy preferences. Remember when you could do picks and mix at the movies? The perfect way. Do that. I can't at any of mine. They've all like well, abandoned no, that. Yeah, oh, they're right. not as yeah. fun. But. I have to do it myself and I sneak candy in. But what I like to do is I get M&Ms and Reese's Pieces and then I get Sour Patch Watermelon and put it all in a bag. And then you have that sour get on to the outside of the M&M and the Reese's Pieces. And that's absolutely perfect. You have to make at-home popcorn and then you put a bag of M&Ms in there. Okay, because see, it, I don't know if I can handle that. It melts the M&Ms. That's very good. We were asked for home ec tips, which I don't know that I really have many. <laughs> that but is I'm a counting shock. that as one. Okay. Yeah, I accept that. That counts. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to advertisers for native podcast sponsorships. What does that actually mean? Well, for our purposes, it means that we don't have to run ads on our show for products and services we don't believe in. We take this community really seriously, so we've in an ongoing way been trying to match with products that actually meet our mission and our values and are things that we're proud to support. So Podcorn has been a really wonderful service where we've been able to log on to their site and find a bunch of advertisers who want to work with us that we're excited to work with as well. If you're creator and you're looking for brands that you might want to work with, Podcorn is a great option. They have a marketplace mission to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and control. And you never give up exclusive rights to your podcast. Click the link in our show notes to learn how to sign up and to learn more about Podcorn. That's right. So just head over to podcorn.com and get started today. So Another question that I thought was very good, um, and I think you can take this any direction. I don't think they mean their job. Dot, dot, dot wants to know, what do you do that isn't this podcast? Wow. Wow. Like for a job or we're saying anything? I think it's a metaphysical question. Like who are you outside of this audio space? Oh, my God. All right. Or well, if he wants to know your job, I don't know. What is your answer to that? Are you taking that to a metaphysical space? I mean, honestly, because I say I had the questions ahead of time, so I'm I'm cheating. But I was like, honestly, I like walk around cemeteries. I read books. <laughs> I enjoy procedural dramas. Yep. I binge on baked goods at night. Yep. And I avoid cooking. Um, I my, hear that. my day job is park ranger, but that doesn't really capture what I do. We we've talked to other people, other contexts. What we do here is actually pretty much what we do everywhere. We mm. do what you might think of as informal education or extension of education outside of the classroom and dialogue. That's what I think I do, whether it's giving a tour in a cemetery, whether it's my day job, like that's what I do. That makes sense. Um, so what do I do? I, yeah, I mean, I think we do similar things. Sometimes I do community teaching where I teach people how to write memoirs by reflecting on therapeutic experiences with books. I teach that class at public libraries that invite me. For my day job, I teach digital scholarship, which is basically like doing research using digital tools like a podcast or a website or whatever. Still a historian in some capacity in all these spaces. Um, what else? I'm sort of crafty. I feel like I'm a mom blogger without being a mom, <laughs> that I've gotten really into making books for fun at night. I'm a person who loves Anna Newman. I would say that I feel most myself when I am with Anna, my fiance, 
when I'm with you, Allison, and Aww. dear friends, and when I'm hosting the show, this feels like very much like who I am. So we're all different people in different spaces, if I take your question, but those are some of the people I am in some places. That was a great answer. Um, someone asked us what I think is a great question and something that I could see us doing whole episodes on, which is about friendship. And oh, yeah. We're so, going there. We're going there. So buckle up. Get your care and keeping of you books and magazines out. But Kelly asked us, and I think this is so good. She says, how do you make friends with other adults when you're 22? But okay. I'm taking that question to mean like she's not in school. So, so it like, could be any age, any it, post-school exactly. age. Exactly. Got it. Okay. That's a great question. And it's one I think a lot about because, you know, I have other friends who live in cities that I don't live in and they kind of will say like, well, how do I meet someone? Like, you know, I can talk to you on the phone or we can text, but sometimes you just want to hang out with somebody. So I've heard that there's like a Bumble friendship app. I have mm-hmm. not tried it, but I know it exists. So maybe that's one option. Um, I think kind of the way to make friends is also how you might want to think about meeting someone if you were interested in meeting someone romantically, which is like go to places that are organized around things that you genuinely enjoy and you might find people who have similar interests to you. So I don't know what that might look like, but I mean, I feel like I'm a cruise director right now. Do these, <laughs> do these tips make sense? These tips make perfect sense. And I'll offer something that I think is slightly different. I am very much a quality over quantity in most things, right? Mm-hmm. Except for snacks. Like I'll kind of eat the basest of the base. There's exceptions, yeah. To me, it's like friend is like one of my highest thresholds in life. And I think sometimes what people are looking for is acquaintances with whom they can do things. Yeah. And I think something for me is like friend is a very small category on my pyramid of life, period. Like friend is actually a very, very small space in which people can enter. And I think something that it took my 20s to learn was there are people with whom you have fun or you go out or you have a kind of specific relationship with. And then you have lasting long-term friends And I don't think it's as simple as like, who would you call in a crisis? Because like, you know, I don't pick up the phone, but I care. (laughs) Like, I I do think there are different standards, but I think part of it is asking yourself like what you're looking for, because you Mm -hmm. might find that you have three great best friends that you don't get to see a lot. And what you're actually looking for is people to hang out with and that those are different things to me. Yeah, I think you're kind of getting a, a really important facet of friendship, which is intimacy. And I think a lot of times in our culture, generally, we only reserve questions of love or intimacy for romantic relationships. And by doing that, you're missing so much because the people with whom we spend a lot of our lives are not romantic partners, but also the friends that we kind of go through different stages of life with. And as you're saying, you might be someone who maybe lives in a city that your best friends don't or whatever. And maybe you think like, okay, I have people locked down who I'm who I'm really I'm comfortable being vulnerable with. We have a sense of intimacy. I feel like I can share like things that are going on in my life with them. I can go to them for advice. Um that kind of thing. And like you're saying you might just be looking for someone to spend time with and that's completely fine. So you could think about so if you know your expectations going on, this is what I'm looking for. I want someone I can go to chick flicks with. I want someone, you know, that I can go to a Hanson concert with. I mean, my <laughs> God, how many times have you wanted to go to see a Hanson concert? You could, I'm going to suggest people you work with, but that is fraught. I just want to say that. Like, if you make a work friend, you have to commit to being that person's friend 
in a way that you can't maybe get out of without some residual damage. Yes. And I think this often comes across as very cold, but this can be my like Virgo clinic side coming out. I think if you're in a situation, whether it's a social group, a workplace, where people immediately say, we're all family and we're all friends, nope. it's it's helpful to check within yourself that that is objectively not true, like that there can be overlap and there can be concentric circles, but that your your workplace is not the same as your family. And to also check privilege to say, you know, family is not a good connotation for everyone, Right. Or like people who have a lot of trouble making friends and then they go to a workplace and someone says, we're all friends as a declarative statement. Then if you don't feel friendship, you feel like you've done something wrong. So I think it really is like, I think of it as with many things being like tarot. You don't go to a tarot card read to be told what to do. You use it as a tool to be reflective. Right. And I think boundaries are important there too. Like something, Mm -hmm. a lesson I learned in my late 20s is like the importance of setting boundaries with people. So, you know, if you make a new friend or you meet someone that you might want to hang out with, just being kind of clear about like what the boundaries around that friendship are going to be. So I have certain friends in my life that I love doing things with, but I don't really know them to the extent that I would want to share with them intimate details of my life. And so sometimes, I have this issue where people are like, I'm going to tell you everything about myself and I don't really want to reciprocate. And it's not because I don't like them. It's just I feel like we're not at that stage. So then sometimes you have to have an awkward boundary setting sort of conversation like, oh, thanks so much for sharing this with me. I'm actually not that comfortable sharing that with a lot of people. It's really not about you. It's just, you know, I I don't know, like I have to feel comfortable in a certain way and I'm not there yet. It's hard for me to share about certain parts of my life, not personal so, I mean, we're getting way off topic, and I think it's just because we really <laughs> love talking about friendship. But yeah, to kind of get back to your central point, if you're 22 years old and you're looking for new friends, one, I think um, maybe looking around where you work, um, maybe going to things in your town or city, activities that are things you genuinely enjoy on your own, and hopefully finding people there that can share that specific interest in a friendship way and maybe um, be friends with you outside of it. Um, maybe be friends through other friends. Um, I have met friends through other friends. That's a really, it's kind of like they're already vouched for people. That could be a good way. Um, the Bumble app question mark. If anyone's used that successfully, get back to us. Um, I've not been on there, but, uh, I don't know, Allison, is that? Yeah, I would say just as a contrast to when we were children, do not try to make pen pals through a magazine. American Girl, encourage that. We want to hear from you if you made pen pals successfully and you formed friendships. But like I would say now, like if someone is writing to you like and they're claiming a kind of princely lineage or they found you via a magazine, like you probably don't want to start a friendship that way. That's me. Probably not right. And I think it's also like we've seen a lot of 90 Day Fiance and it's just shaped us in a certain way. Yeah. So on that train, Amy Kay asked us, a hardcore question, which I love, which was, please provide, I love this because it was like a thesis question. Okay. Please, please provide a grand unified theory of why Bachelor works so well with AG, <laughs> period. Amy. Wow. Thank Great you, question. Amy. Thank you, Amy. I'll take hmm. a stab at it. Yeah, please do. Because we've highly recommended Amy Kaufman's book to a lot of people. I think yes. this might be Amy Kaufman under a pseudonym. I I don't I don't want to say. Wow. Um, Amy K, we see you. No, it, it's a real person. Never mind. Um, 
I think part of like, number one, we have fun mapping these two disparate things onto each other. Mm -hmm. And I think number two, if we didn't pick The Bachelor, we could pick something else that we really like. And I think if you dig deep into kind of any storytelling, kind of giving ourselves away, but like you can find tropes that map onto each other pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. I do think it was fate that Colton jumped a fence at the same time that we were reading about Felicity jumping the fence. Right. Beyond that, I think if you take any kind of arc that you're being presented, whether it's on TV, in a book, really seriously, and you really look at the craft of it, you can pull things out and then map them onto other stories. I also think there's something about Bachelor that's so tale as old as time. Like it's literally heteronormative people giving each other flowers to symbolize their love. And these are children's stories. So it's not actually that hard to form fusions where other people have chosen not to see them. Yeah, I think in some ways it's is exactly what you're saying, which is that both American Girl and Bachelor are very predictable archetypes. Like the narrative arcs of the stories are not surprising in large part. Neither is the Bachelor in the kind of ha- holding as the highest end that um, straight people would propose to each other um, with roses. So I think they could, they're easily mapped onto each other in the sense that the moments that we love are the moments that surprise, delight, outrage us are moments that um, don't fit in that archetype or surprise Mm. us. Um, So I think for the books, we kind of, not so much with Addie, but some of the other books, you know, when things happen that we don't expect or we don't approve of or, you know, shock us, that's the thing we love to joke about and talk about. And it's the same with The Bachelor. I mean, it's not interesting that people propose if it goes well and they stay together at the end. That's actually not interesting because it's not a surprise. So I think it's uh, things that um, thwart the norm in some ways that um, make them both suited to thinking about them together. Now, A.T. Wiles wanted to know which AG character would be the best suited to either be Bachelorette or be a contestant on The Bachelor? And I loved this question. This is a great question. Hmm, I got to think about this. I'm not no, no, I'm not nominating Josefina because I think that she's too vulnerable and I don't want to see her get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I think Felicity would be excellent because she only thinks about herself and her own needs. So she would be great because she would not really be thinking about how to deliver feedback or dismissals in ways that were sensitive. So that might be interesting television. I think Josefina would be a great contestant. So like the podcast about The Bachelor, Here to Make Friends, did this wonderful analysis of every conversation between Hannah Ann and this season's (laughs) Bachelor Peter. And basically like Peter loves words of affirmation and he loves women who affirm him. And Hannah Ann did that for months on end and then literally asked for that from him and he couldn't give it. Which Uh, I feel like is not unlike Josefina and everyone in her life. That's true. I actually do think that's true. Like she helped everybody. And you even think of like Hannah Ann was very good at handling wild animals in the last few Australia episodes. I don't want to go back to the rattlesnake, but I will. Right? I do think though that Kirsten has a DIY spirit where she would make being in the house fun. But I also think like in the same way that we had the champagne finasco, like she would inadvertently cause a spectacle and like truly never see it coming. Like, I don't think she's savvy in the way that like a Samantha would be savvy. 
I mean, you can just see her exiting the mansion on the driveway as the sun's coming up, genuinely confused about why she was being sent home, being like, you know, I did bring a raccoon into the house. Like, what's the problem? I do think Addie would do well because, like, her experience with Harriet, like, taught her about mean girls and boundaries. Yes, except that The Bachelor is not kind to Black contestants. So that's very true. We got a lot of questions, obviously, about American Girl specifically. We do have a kind of subcategory that I think demands our attention, and it also helps us, you know, review our past in order. Uh-oh. We received not one, but three. I- I'm going to try to merge the word accusation and question <laughs> together. Like, I think they were accusations. Um, so, Stacy, life as a concept – And Willoughby and Rose all wrote to us, and these are the things that they said. Okay. Why do you hate Felicity? Uh Uh-oh. When will you issue a formal apology to the Felicity generation, which, by the way, is like us? Okay. Um, And would you ever do a Justice for Felicity episode? I have time. I have a question for them. How much did Valerie Tripp pay you to write those questions? Do I think these are all secretly her handles? Yes, I do. Yep. I think she's got granddaughters. They're on Instagram. I I think what maybe gets misunderstood is there was something so fun about Felicity's absurd pluckiness as a nine-year-old, which made her so easy to talk about in that way. And frankly, like the crises in her life, like she's very intimately involved with and looking up close at very real political events. But they don't actually hit home for her the way that, as an example, things hit home for Josefina, Kirsten, and Addie. And I think that's why it was easier to make fun of her. Right. Because I think with Addie, I think some people have wondered why we're not as critical or making fun of the Addie books. And I think the basic example is they're very good books. So it's very difficult to say wow, it's so ridiculous that like this 90s political issue is like this tone deafness is coming through this book. That's not happening in the ID book so far. I mean, the ones we've read so far, I can't speak to the whole series. With Felicity, it was all over the place. And it's easier to say, here's this white girl of privilege living in Williamsburg who literally is very close, as you're saying, to the revolution and those political events. It's affecting her family's livelihood and so on. But just as white men in the revolution who were intimately involved in it were saying we're being treated as slaves by the British empire while also owning enslaved people. She carries that blindness. Yeah. So that is more glaring from the distance of 2020 in ways that are easy to make fun of because it seems so absurd in a way that it's not absurd for Addie, who's that is her lived reality. She's a formerly enslaved person who's claimed her freedom, but is dealing with the very, tragic realities of what that looks like and the unfairness of that that has real resonance to today. With Felicity, it's like, I don't know how to help you if you think saving a horse is the most important thing. Like, that's the thing that she's willing to, like, burn the house down over and then passes right by Marcus and the enslaved family members or members of her family on her way out the door with breeches on. It's like, it's just insane. We also had a film, and I feel like the film is where, like, we truly let our wild horses oh run. Oh, my God. And I miss yes. that. And I'm looking forward to Samantha and getting to her film. I I will say this, too. So, like, my hobby, you know, other than, like, a few other things is, like, going to house museums. Like, that is objectively a hobby that I have. And 
after about nine years of going to house museums with me, my husband was like, I don't know if you enjoy house museums. And I was like, say more words. Because as I go through a house museum, my brain is on overdrive. And it's so fun for me because I'm both in the house museum and I'm thinking about like the performance I'm getting. I'm thinking about everything else. The joy to me is picking it apart. Like the joy is partially like being in a room that is four or 500 years old, like the joy of that, of being in a castle or being in a house. But it's not really about the teapot for me. It's like, how is this person going to make this interesting? And if my face is scrunched up, if I'm asking a lot of critical questions afterwards, it's like, I loved that in my way. Like if we didn't actually care about Felicity, there's a lot of other things we could do with our time. We would just skip it. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a way where it's like, if you're critical of something, that doesn't mean like when you go on a house where you're not rude. No. You know, and oftentimes like we become these people's biggest fans because we're like, wow, we love that this exists. We love that this is here for us to come in and enjoy. But as you're saying, it's kind of like the sometimes the measure of how some, how much you love something is your willingness to engage with it and ask hard questions sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, I think if we didn't care at all, we would just skip Felicity or just be like, yeah, this is bad. Moving on. And instead, it's like, no, I'm still up at night wondering about the Felicity <laughs> movie scene in which she's walked in on by Ben in the barn wearing the breeches. And she says, it's not what you think. And it's like. Literally, what what did she think he was thinking? I'm still thinking about that. I am too, and I loved all the actors in it. So, like, that genuinely has a special place for me. And Julia Roberts. It's like, we know that you were telling your life story in that film, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Now, Cinnamon Snapshots asked us a question a little bit easier to answer, but helpful. Do you have any AG dolls? Me, personally, yes. Like, on your person? No. Okay. They are are somewhere. I know that they're in my parents' house. I believe they're in their attic. Once we all moved out, my parents a few years ago decided to kind of majorly redo their house. And my parents live in an 80s house that when they built it was built with very cheap materials. And so they've basically had to rebuild the house from the inside out to replace like hollow doors and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So when we moved out, they're like, now we actually finish this. And so all of our stuff went into like storage bins or the attic. So it's in one of those places, but where I can't possibly say. I do want to find them. Yeah. I mean, they're probably just like suffering up there, but I mean, I'm not. Wow. Thank you for shaming me with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, absolutely kidding. <laughs> how many do you own at this point? I'm not really at liberty to disclose that at this. No. Um, so because I've been collecting partially to do like photos for the show, I did just acquire a Samantha. And so now I have Felicity, Kirsten, Josefina, Addie, Samantha, and Molly. And I will probably get more. Impressive. Um, they are kind of all over my house. And at one point I was like, I do think they should just be in one room. But is that more strange? <laughs> well, you know, they're sitting on top of the crazy quilt. Like, that's for... <laughs> that's I'm just worried for Raymond. Like, I don't want him to be afraid with all these, like, girls around the house. No, he loves it. Um, I have staged a few photo shoots where he's petting the dolls. So his... <sighs> His body. As long as he feels safe, that's all I care about. (laughs) 
Now, a question I really liked because I think it helps us kind of review a little bit of what we've looked at. Um, Paula Marie wanted to know what your favorite story has been so far of what we've revisited, which I thought was a great question. Hmm. I'll go first. Yeah, I've had more time. I think the book that sticks out to me the most because it also made me feel validated like what we were doing was making sense. I remembered Felicity's plot lines really well. And I really did not remember Kirsten. Rereading Kirsten book one was such a pleasure for me because it's something I know I read as a child and it's something that I know I didn't remember well. And I just thought everything about that book was so well done. And it's a book I think about all the time. Like I think about Mm. that scene on the ship. I think about her feelings of loneliness and how beautiful the illustrations were. And like Marta is obviously on all of our minds this month. Still. Oh my God. R.A.P. But I think there's something about that book where I really did feel like, okay, I really didn't remember this. And I'm so glad we're doing this because there's unlimited material to mine here. And I just really liked reading it too. So. So, hmm. Okay. So I can say without question, my least favorite reading experience was all of the Josefina books, not because I didn't enjoy them and talking about them, but because The themes about grief and Catholicism hit a little too close to home for me, and I actually found it difficult to sit with some of those. I know they're children's books, but that was hard. My next favorite, I think for pure comedy, the Felicity books are just nuts. And if you want to laugh, go reread those books because it's just so bonkers to me to sit with those books and plot lines. Mm. I also agree that book one of Kirsten was excellent. And I do think that a lot of, I think, I can't remember if it's... um, book three of Addie with the love cookie. Yeah. That made me cry. And when she wrote her name on the slate for the first time, that scene is just so gorgeous to me that that's probably my number one. But I will say that I am looking most forward to the Molly books Hmm. for the same reasons that I didn't care for the Josefina books, which is that the reason Molly is my favorite is because my grandmother, after whom I'm named, my name's Mary Margaret, as was hers, and she came of age during World War II. And so it was a point of bonding for us that I could talk to her about. Um, She didn't read the books, but we talked about like what her life was like during the war and so on. So I'm looking forward to kind of pleasant memories of my grandmother as we read those books. So listener Brenna actually asked how much of your love of Molly comes from a love of World War II, which I thought was really interesting because I don't really think of myself as someone with a particular interest in that topic. It's something I've done some work on. Hmm. But I think we both kind of share that we had grandparents who served or were involved or, or lived through that time period. And for me, it was a way to connect with people who were young in a time that felt really far away, even though I had people living in my house who lived through it. And there's no way I understood or conceptualized it that way as a child. But um, I, I think about that all the time with World War II. I think because I'm more interested in the home front aspect, I think it's almost impossible to convey to people how dark and depressing it was to live in the United States in that time because Mm -hmm. there was a baseline of problems, you know, related to rationing and people serving. And then the country being as multicultural as it was by the 1940s, all of those problems were exacerbated tenfold for anyone who wasn't white or had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people who are really 
energized or really interested in that period, like it drains me in a way because I think it's so dark. Like I don't have any other word for it. Like when I talk about the home front in the city I work in, I've read a ton of oral histories and they're very depressing. Like people Mm -hmm. really felt the weight of this moment when they were interviewed in the 80s. They were so angry. And I think we miss that a lot with the greatest generation propaganda. Like these people are really mad that some of the best years of their life were spent that way. And I think Molly like opened that door for interest. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, my grandmother was seems larger than life as a person sometimes. I think when I talk about her and sometimes Anna will say like, was she a real person? And she <laughs> was. So I don't want to like reduce her to a caricature, but she was someone who had many colors, as most people do, and she could be very dark as a person in large parts because, as you say, she grew up in such a dark time. Like her childhood was the Great Depression. And then imagine you live through the Great Depression and it's like, OK, here's World War II. And, you know, she lost parents because of a lot of war related and depression related you know, things. And she had to live with that and caring for her family and so on. So it wasn't like the greatest generation propaganda of like, yeah, like this was a time of pure wins and it was all positive. In fact, it was really challenging for her. And the fact that she was willing to kind of go to that place and share like anecdotes with me and her experiences with me felt like such a gift, even as a child. So I think, um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of to get there. I, I also am not interested in World War II in the way that some people are, not to attack that, but I'm not really a military historian of any kind. Um, I was just talking with Anna about going to Battleship Cove when I was a kid on vacation, Mm. the ways that that felt like a punishment and I thought I was going to get locked in the boat. Anyway, um, yeah, so I think it's really about um, kind of the the human connection. Books can be often a bridge like many other things can. Um, I just made pasta cheese the other day, which is a pasta dish my grandmother taught me. And it's kind of like when my kitchen starts to smell like paprika, it feels like she's there. So I feel like um, reading these books and entering that time, hopefully it will kind of feel similar. We'll see. That's home ec tip number two. There you go. We did it. We did I will it. share that recipe. <laughs> it's very good. Um, Someone asked us kind of a, I get, I, you know, I, I overuse the word bombshell, especially in this context, but what I think Uh-oh. is like a really, you know, I had to think about it. I did consult a few lawyers before deciding to answer this. Smart. So listener Erfer asks, is a Molly doll just a Samantha with glasses. I'm about to flip this desk over. And I'm what? Here, I'm here to tell you two things. Okay, two things. Because I have them side by side in my home now. They oh are very God. different. I'll also just address what's been like an ongoing matter of consternation among listeners. We cited a fact that Addie was the first doll to have teeth because a listener, visible teeth, a listener told us that. That has since been heavily disputed. I can't go there. Like I barely uphold my own dentist appointments. I don't know. I trust you. I trusted that listener. That's that's where that's going to live. They are very different. Like their hair is very different. Their faces are very different. Like I'm not taking this personally. They really like, they look alike at first blush, but they are very different dolls. Wow. And that feels like a loaded (laughs) statement. Look, as we've said before, too, we're very open to reassessing our views on Samantha. I mean, people keep writing to us and saying, like, don't you know she was a labor rights activist? Look, as I said many times on the show, I don't remember a single plot line. So I'm happy to be delighted by, you know, reading and loving her books. I am slightly worried that as a Leo, I will read Samantha and her fanciness and be like, 
Maybe that's me. I don't know. Someone else wrote to me and was like, as a queer woman, how can you not identify with Samantha? I don't know. I don't remember any of these plots. <laughs> we'll see. I know. This identity that I formed at eight years old is right. open to reconstruction. <laughs> of course. Unlike our country in the 1870s. Um, Kate, via email, says, just a thought, loved, could you do American Girl Superlatives? Okay. As if they were all graduating from high school simultaneously. And she gives us a few, and I want you to just like rapid fire. Okay. Class clown. Felicity. Obviously. Life of the party. Ooh. Samantha? I was going to say Molly because like she knows how to throw an outfit together. That's true. It won't be appropriate. Hello, hula outfit, but she does know how to do that. Yes. For most likely to succeed, I'm nominating Kirsten. What? Okay, hear me out. Because as a listener recently reminded me, they were like, Allison, she spent a night in a cave with a dead man. And it was not her first night in a perilous cave situation. And I was like, you know what, girl? You're right. Like, I'm not going to argue that point. I'm going to say Addie, but I'm going to add the caveat that the world probably won't let her succeed. Yeah. But she should. I think Addie would get perfect attendance. That's dark out, but that's coming from your own place of you wanted that and you wanted perfect uniform. And so like superlatives are challenging for you. I think they are. I think they are. I'm trying to think. I think Josefina would enter into a relationship and then she'd get like class sweethearts. I think she would also get best personality because she's Mm -hmm. the kind of person who totally is invested in making everyone else around her feel good. So it wouldn't be like you have a great personality would be like, well, when I'm with you, I feel really like seen and appreciated. I think that's real. Who would you say has had the most rewarding books for you to reread so far? That's from listener Megan. Hmm. I think the Felicity, I'm going to say Felicity because it was the first ones we did and it made me feel like this whole project was worth doing because I found so much in them that I obviously didn't recall from being a nine-year-old. So I'll just say the first. In terms of most rewarding, um, I would agree with Felicity. found like there was a lot to go through there. In some ways, I have to say, I, I think Addie has been among mm. the better experiences because I'm really enjoying rereading the books and it's it's making me think. And the character has so much depth. I I don't know how else to say this. I'm just really glad it was done right. Mm-hmm. And and that's not necessarily for me to say, but I think there were times where Josefina felt written by committee. And I think the world that Addie inhabits is is informed by committee, but Addie herself is a real person. I agree with that. Solomon Johnji, again, great, great questions, great content. If you weren't a Molly, who would you be? And you can reject that question. I sort of want to reject the question, but I will just guess because, again, I haven't reread these books. I will say Samantha and own that because so many people have written to me and said that we're wrong, that I don't know. But then again, it's like, it wasn't, didn't she pay for some Irish girl to be her friend? And I don't, I don't know, Allison. But then it's like, is that internalized homophobia if I don't pick Samantha? No, no, it's not. Um, I'm, I couldn't make it as Kirsten. I know that. We, I know that. I'd be dead. So there's that. I think I'm very open to Julie. I'm oh, very we can open pick other Kit. ones? Yeah, you can be whoever you want. Who cares? I think I'm most open to Kit 
because like the number of people who have asked if we're going to do kit, I love the kit energy that people bring to us. Yeah, of course. I mean, and just to say what we've said before, which is that sometimes people write to us and, and are afraid we're going to stop at the end of the original generation. We're going to keep going. Like we will keep going yeah. through all the historical dolls. We'll tackle the girls of the year when we get there. We'll do the mystery books. Like we're not stopping anytime soon. No, we did get a question that I loved from Curly Hair Blue Eyes. If you could live in any one of the book eras, which I think is a very different question, which would Mm -hmm. you pick? And I'm just going to add a caveat, which Curly Hair Blue Eyes did not add. And I'm going to allow you to identify as any gender you want, because that makes a difference for me. Yes. Um, Okay, this is difficult. I'm thinking here. I don't think I would actually pick Molly's time. No. Um, uh, this is really hard. Do you have one ready to go? I feel like you have an answer ready to go. Like I have a general answer, which would map onto Kaya. I, I would love to have been a woman in the 17th century. Like that to me is the most interesting, most like misunderstood period of time. So 1600s. I have absolutely no interest in living through the American Revolution. I would guess my next beat would be Josefina's because that is also the period I inhabit as a first person. And there's a lot about the 1820s and 1830s that remind me of our own time where things seem to be evolving and changing so unbelievably fast. It's hard to know how to make sense of change in technology themselves. So I would probably pick that period next. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd either have to go really early before there was any like formalized, there was as much formalization and restrictions on gender roles if you were going to commit to being a woman in the past. Yeah. Um, And also where matters. So like, 17th century is fine unless you're in Salem at a particular period, right? So also like kids interesting. You think? Yes, because my people were in that area and they made it. I don't want to get into this, but it's like your ancestors behaved very badly. Period. I know that. Like I know that. Like I know. I know that I would have been complicit with <laughs> the look You would have been burning me. Like you would have been like, "Hey, I wouldn't have stopped it." And I think you know that. You would have been leading the charge. Like you you like to tell it the the conceit for you right now is like, I wouldn't have stopped it. That's what you think is the brave admission. Here's the real brave admission. You would have been leading it. Like you would have been cotton mather. I I don't really know the answer. I think Kit's period is interesting because she's in the 1920s, right? She is. She I'm is. interested in that. I would have loved to have been an investigative reporter. Um, in my mind, like His Girl Friday to me is an amazing movie. And I know it doesn't reflect actual boots on the ground life experience, but I think to have been a female reporter at that time would have been interesting or as a man to be an investigative reporter. Also, Julie would have been fascinating. It depends too if I was queer in the past because that changes things for me. Like I'd have to be in a place before the notion of gay is invented. So the 20th century would have been out. So I have to like jump around a lot. I I can't say. The 1920s holds like basically no appeal for me whatsoever. Part of it is because like I care a lot about temperance and the way that temperance was as a movement ended was by winning with the Volstead Act. And then it all went so wrong. I wouldn't have wanted to see that. 
Again, this is where we part ways. Because you would have been like turning me into the police. I know. You would have been shutting me down. Like if I was a saloon owner, which I also could see myself doing in the past to like just hang out, you would have shut me down. We did a women's activist program for the start of Women's History Month, you know, before end of times. And I went on like a very long and passionate talk about temperance. And the people I work with just kind of looked at me and did a long, hard blank, like, here it goes, let it happen. Like, she'll come back to us when it's over, you know? You just have to accept it. The people needed to know. They needed to understand. Did they? I don't know. Now, I want to say people asked us so many amazing questions. It's not like we'll never get to them. I did want to pick up one final topic, which was history in public and public history. Got a great question from Izzy, and I think between us, we can answer it. Any advice for an American studies major who wants to write a thesis? Great question. Um, Pick something that you're passionate about because you're going to have to spend a lot of time on this and with your sources. So just as a basic topic, don't pick something that you think other people will find interesting and be impressed by. Pick something that you are actually deeply invested in and care about. I would say to treat it like a mystery. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, probably the best advice I ever got, because I never forgot it, Professor Kathleen Keat at our alma mater <laughs> said, you are not turning in a thesis paper that is an Agatha Christie novel. I better not be surprised in the last paragraph. And I think about that all the time, because when you're writing a thesis or you're writing an essay, you want to build suspense and you want to have the ending be interesting and surprising. There should not be a surprise. Correct. Yeah. I would say too, I think there is absolutely nothing wrong. You know, everyone wants to do a thesis on the Zapruder tapes or they want to go really big. You can actually make, I think, a very good splash if, depending on your context, you go hyper local, you talk to the archivist at your institution, you talk to the librarian. I think where we really figured out a lot of our identities as historians was doing these kind of hyper-local contained projects where then we had a local audience and we were able to actually talk to people. Like pick a project that has a kind of immediate relevance. I'm not saying be presentist, but like pick something that you think like, yeah, I could actually see like going to my local library and talking to someone about this. Or I could see my college thinking this was really fascinating. Like our, our college having the 50th anniversary of women like you could do a great project around something timely. Yeah. Um, history of coeducation is actually kind of under-researched in a lot of ways. So that's an interesting topic right now. Um, when I was in college, uh, George Bush was president uh, for the beginning part and then Barack Obama was elected. And I remember thinking earlier on, like, how did the Republican Party get this way? And that's co- sort of led me down a path where I ended up doing a local history of the Republican Party in the 19th century, which sounds super boring, but it actually wasn't because you could actually kind of explore kind of where the Republican Party came from, which actually has very different interests and platforms than today. It obviously went through a major shift with FDR's administration or around that period. So, you know, like Allison's saying, you can start local and actually make a really big impact. Agreed. Thornsey wants to know, what is one of your favorite historical sites? Hmm. I love Canterbury Village. Mm. That's one of the places we went together. It's a Shaker Living History Museum. Well, not Living History. There's not interpreters there acting like Shakers. But um, 
it's just a beautiful place. It's very peaceful being there. I think we both felt very sort of like this calming effect being in their space. And I just loved kind of sitting with, I love utopian communities from the 19th century. So it's a totally preserved utopian community from the 19th century. It's beautiful. So that's definitely one of them. Do you have another? I like big houses. Um, I like to be wowed. And you cannot lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my long-term dreams was to see the Winchester Mystery House. And a very pleasant surprise when I got there was to learn that the owner was 4'11". And I love that. Oh. So the same size. And I very quickly learned that a lot of things that were – like the whole point is that she was super eccentric. She kept adding on the house is is kind of strange. When a lot of aspects of the house were actually explained to me, I was like, as a shorter person, this house is just a custom build. <laughs> like, no, I'm serious. Like, the way that the rise and the step of the staircases are is for a short person. Huh. And later in life, she had severe orthopedic issues. And I was like, girl, probably same at some point. So um, that and the Biltmore, which is very cliche, but the Biltmore is the largest still privately held house that is a public museum in Asheville, North Carolina. I It's on my wish list to go there. I can't wait to go. Um, I think it's really about the experience for me. So going someplace, it's not necessarily like this had the most amazing stuff in it, but it's like the people you go with, the time you have. Like the first time we went to Canterbury, it was closed and we didn't know because they had a water main break. So then we randomly found this other shaker <laughs> place in New Hampshire and we drove there. And it wasn't the most amazing house museum or like site I'd ever been to, but we had so much fun that day. Like the people we met and kind of like chatting with them. And then I went with um, Anna to Nichols house, which is in Boston. I was just looking up the name for it, um, which is a house of like progressive women, um, the daughters of a physician. And it's per- entirely preserved. It's really cool. And we had like the craziest tour guide on that tour, but it made me feel like I barely knew Anna at that point. And she could just hang with and also like could delight in how crazy this was. And I was like, oh, I really like someone who can appreciate like a fun, crazy house tour because I feel like for us, that's a really important piece. So, yeah, those are cool. And the Newport Mansions where you were a tour guide for many years. And I have very fond memories of visiting you there. I was. Yes. Um, So the last question, but a very important question. How is your wedding planning going? Oh, my God. Talk about a million-dollar question. Listen, it's fraught. I'll (laughs) say that. First of all, I am so delighted to be getting married. I am not a person who believes in the the wedding industrial complex where it's like I need to have this elaborate wedding, this and that. The plan as it stands right now is that I'm getting married in my parents' backyard. Um, A cousin of mine has just been, air quotes, ordained to perform the ceremony. Uh, you know, we have some very like loved friends involved, um, you obviously included. But so we've made plans to have barbecue. We just locked down some ice cream because I want an ice cream truck to come. But, you know, so that all feels great. I have blue hydrangeas or the central flower. You know, I Oriental Trading Catalog was challenging me to have a color story. <laughs> I feel like that's where I've landed if that counts. It's a book theme because I'm marrying a librarian and I obviously love books. So Inanna Design Invitations, like everything's going great. It's not going to be super fancy. It's not going to be big, but it's going to be what we want. However, all of this to say, in light of recent events, I don't know what will happen because of everything that's going on in the world right now. 
And that is a deep source of anxiety for me at the moment. I What I do know, and this is the most important thing, I am going to Mariana mm-hmm. on June 6th. Whether we have to then move the celebration of that marriage to another day, you know, I'm not sure when we have to make that decision, but it's one we'll make together. But what I'm really trying to just reflect on is like, you know, I get to marry this really great person and I'm trying to focus on that. But obviously, you know, I can't believe that the one time I decided I would marry someone. (laughs) Just kidding. I truly never thought I would get married ever in my life. And that's not a sad statement. It's like I was completely fine with that. So I kind of it's unreal, but also on brand that this would be happening at, at or around the time of our wedding. So I'm hoping things will have calmed down by June 6th, but I'll keep you posted. I mean, picking D-Day, was that a mistake? I don't know. Did I welcome this? You absolutely did not welcome it. Okay. It, this was truly unforeseen except by everyone in charge who was selling stocks instead of warning us, but <laughs> that's a separate discussion. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I'm very excited to be married Beyond that, who can say? If someone can give me advice, I mean, there's really no advice I can get at this point. I just have to hope that this all, you know, I would like this to end for larger global reasons where <laughs> I would like there to not be fatalities and extreme illness and the disparities in our healthcare system that have not granted everyone equal access to testing and treatment. So that's my primary concern. But, you know, also, I'm looking forward to getting married. Anna just walked in at this moment. <laughs> Somebody wrote in and asked how our wedding planning is going, Anna. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> she says, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you need an Enya yeah. theme. Who can say? Like, that's your that's your. You know, to like, quote Natasha Bedingfield, the rest is still unwritten. It's true, though. It's true. Yeah. I don't know if Hanson – I mean, do you think they're available to come? I, I, I think a lot of people are going to be available depending on what – I've also made two Spotify playlists. One is for dinner. One is for dancing. So if someone has any suggestions of what they think is a clutch, either chill song for a dinner period or a dance floor moment, please do recommend. I will add it. Where should they find you if they want to do that? On Twitter at Mary Mahoney 123 and on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney. And what about you, Allison? What about me? So I am available at Allison Horrocks on both Twitter and Instagram. And please be sure to follow the show. Um, we can also be reached on Twitter at a girls pod. Everything else, you just look up American Girls Podcast and you should find us easy peasy. And I will just say, I know it's a dark time right now, but just know that we're working on a lot of cool stuff for the show that, you know, some stuff has been interrupted a bit by what's happening, but We are planning on doing some live shows at some point. We're excited about that. And we did talk about friendship and we're thinking we'll do like a friendship theme kind of thing. Maybe. Who knows? So if you like us talking about friendship, there could be more of that. And also we're working on merchandise. We are. It is is, very close and we can't wait to show you. We're so close. Oh, my God. And I'm so excited to share that with everybody. So, you know, like I said, we're going to be sending you some extra content in these dark times, and we just hope you're all doing whatever you need to do to take care of yourself and be kind to yourself and, you know, seeking out sources of distraction that feel good. Um, You know, Murder, She Wrote won't be long forever, but we're all going to live through that. We're going to make it. And we just so appreciate everyone who reaches out to us and listens to the show. We really do appreciate you. Bye. Thank you.